are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Coffee with Kim. I invite you to journey with me to a new day. I believe God has led you to this moment and this place because He is about to bring purpose and potential to your story. So join thousands of women and men from around the globe who have discovered how powerful their stories become once Christ touches them with His purpose. Don't you long to make this same discovery? Then grab your coffee, scoot in, and join me as we let God's Word reveal how every part of your past has been preparing you for this very moment. Why would someone walk away from pay, prestige, and perks of two decades on Capitol Hill? For one man, the answer was simple. And today, you will hear his compelling story. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Coffee, conversations of friends of faith to encourage and equip. I'm Kim Crable, your host. Today, we have someone whose love for the Lord compelled him to do what most would never even think to do, leave prestige, pay, to preach the gospel message of Christ. And why? Well, how about we let him tell us that story? It is with great honor that we bring on to the show as a special guest today, our very own Mr. Frank Sheldon. Frank, thank you so much for joining us for coffee today. Oh, Kim, you're amazing. It's my honor, and uh, happy holidays to you. Absolutely. Can you believe it's December already? And I know that people will be listening to this podcast throughout the year, but for us, it's just a few days from Christmas. I'm already starting to feel a little bit of pressure. How about you? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, one thing I would encourage your listeners is um, I preached yesterday in Delaware, and they had a 12-foot real tree on the platform, which was gorgeous and completely off the cuff. I, I bent down under the tree and I said, you'll never find Christmas under the tree, but on the tree at Mount Calvary where he died for you and me and you could hear a pin drop. And if you go to the shopping mall this week, you'll see literally a million flickering lights. And I would just encourage your listeners in a world of a million lights, don't miss the light of the world because it's truly obvious to miss the obvious. And, uh, you know, Christ is where it's at. And, um, I just want to tell you, um, you know, even when you hinted, why would someone leave Washington? Well, God opened the door for me to be there. And then the same shepherd, it says, start a project. If we listen to that still small voice, he may say, now it's time to pivot and leave this project. (laughs) So no one can take away what he already did. But if we stay too long, uh, you can make something an idol. You know, that is so true, Frank. One of the things that I've but it's very, it's very uh, you have to be very discerning. Or maybe I'll, I'll ask you that question. You know, many people have just taken just that, what you said already. And it's like, okay, there, there's a beginning and ending of, these, of, of different seasons in our lives, different callings or maybe different levels of calling. How did you know that God was calling you from that? Because that was a, well, that's a huge meal. Yeah, and that's an that's amazing huge, question. Um, Yeah, since childhood, I wanted to do three things. I was going to go into politics, protect the president, or preach the gospel, not so much in that order. 
And that's kind of the order it, it fell into, though. And I'm unique. I'm a fifth-generation Washingtonian where my family, I was born on Capitol Hill. And a lot, I joke a lot of people come to Washington to visit or, or work, but there's a few of us that were born to work there so much that I was born President's Day weekend. You can't make this stuff up. My mother was employed at the U.S. Capitol, pregnant with me with the Capitol Historical Society. My father uh, was with the United States Capitol Police. My mother goes into labor with me, and she almost gave birth to me in the halls of Congress. <laughs> so I was born at a neighboring hospital on President's Day weekend. And ever since a child, once a year, my dad would dress me in my Sunday best and allow me to go once a year. Kids could go to their parents' work, and I'd walk those marble halls. And it was crazy. I mean, it seemed larger than life to me. But what was intriguing, um, you know, you start seeing people like last name who are named after buildings, and then, then you see the Bob Doles that just passed and Ted Kennedy. And, you know, it, it's like these guys are not only individuals, they were institutions. And what's crazy, uh, dad knew them and they knew dad, and I was so proud of my father. And I love that verse, whatever your hand finds to do, do it for God's glory. And I tell people, if you work at Walmart, just give hugs for heaven. You know, if you do root canals, you know, be a dentist for the divine. You know, it's not the title, it's the testimony. But ever since I was young, you know, I, I grew up in that building. I, I knew the ins and outs of the building. I met the players, and it's awesome. And as um, in middle school, I was voted president of student government, and I started writing my own speeches in eighth grade, Kim, I was speaking to a thousand people a day doing the morning announcements. I, I gave the eighth grade graduation speech as the president. And then I go off to high school and and then the same thing happened my senior year. I'm prom king at a public school at a twelve hundred. But then, you know, I'm writing speeches and then the community college and then the university and then I got a job working for a congressman, and I was asked to be a speechwriter. And they're like, wow, how do you write for a speechwriter? And I said, I just closed my eyes and said a little prayer, and I actually pretended that maybe one day I'd give the speech. And about two weeks later, he comes in the office. He sits on my desk, but it was really his desk because it was his office. And one of the most powerful members of Congress threw the speech at me, hit me in the chest, and fell in my lap. And I said, wow, I, I guess you didn't like this speech. He laughed. He goes, no, I got four votes tonight. I said, well, who's going to give it? He goes, you're going to give it. You wrote it, go in my absence. And Kim, that door, I started doing graduations at public schools, um, groundbreakings at hospitals. I was kind of the forerunner where John the Baptist was to Jesus. Uh, I was kind of the bat boy to Cal Ripken in Baltimore terms. They're looking for him, but they got me. But true story, after those speeches, Three years in a row, a public school wrote back to the congressman's scheduler and said nothing against him, but keep sending that kid Frank. He was great. So they started sending <laughs> me in advance of the congressman, and he's phenomenal, and he's still up there. And um, But to really get to your question, the catch is simultaneously, um, I'm working full-time on Capitol Hill, and in 2005, on the side I spoke 110 times Christians' events across the country in 52 weeks with a full-time government job. And then I started to see, you know, nine out of ten, they tell me, would rather die than speak. And, you know, most yeah. people you don't like public speaking. 
But that's when I never felt more comfortable. And uh, sometimes I'd struggle one-on-one, but if it was a thousand people, I was at home. And it was just the way God wired me. But when I started realizing I had a gift, and then I also realized that unless you're, um, especially in the government, um, it's not that they're all anti-God, but the catch is they really got nervous if they saw me on TBN or Fox News on the side, um, even on your side job. And, and sometimes the government, they can be, you know, and I get it, a little territorial, but on the other hand, you know, it, it, they, they really prefer you pick a side. And, um, right. and, and some of them are proud of you, and then some of you can start getting intimidated by you. And so right. I just felt like, gosh, I, I'm at a crossroads, and my first book was called Career vs. Calling, and a career is a job, but a, a calling brings joy. A career, I made a dollar, but a calling, you make a difference. And a career, mm. some people exist Monday through Friday, and they're already daydreaming about the weekend because they're there, but they're really not there. But a calling is every day of the week. I mean, Tony Robbins said years ago, do what you love so much, you would do it for free. But the irony is you're mm-hmm. so good at it, the money will follow. Um, so, But the blessing is I totally believe in marketplace ministry, and this will, will resonate with a lot of your listeners. You know, to be in the ministry, you just have to be born again. You don't need to preach in a pulpit. You don't need to go to Bible college. You don't need a degree on the wall. The real world is outside the four walls of the church. And if your career is your calling, you have the best of both worlds, whether it be bivocational. You know, Paul made tents by day, uh, but he was right. doing preaching at night. But people are really looking for authenticity. And the fact is I have a lot of dear friends who are preachers, but more importantly, we need to be a reacher. We can reach people where we're at. And and God used all that. Um, but in that season, so then after 18 years on Capitol Hill, I, I was a speechwriter for a congressman. I was the youngest in 40 years to work on the floor of the United States Senate. I was an aide to the governor of Maryland. I was a fundraiser for George W. Bush, and I served in four different White Houses of both parties. And I felt like July 27, 2007, I felt like the Lord whispered, Frank, in this season, I could probably use you more out of Washington than in it. And I left retirement, 401k health insurance, by faith, without a single booking. And yes, I spoke 100 times in 52 weeks in 14 states, but I didn't have a single booking lined up when I left. And my mom called me, are you absolutely nuts? You know, women, rightfully so, think stability and security. Um, I heard it said, no finance, no romance. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but, you know, women, the, the, that mortgage comes every month, whether you're prepared for it or not. But when God said go, I was gone. But let me park the car here. God was faithful. I stepped out, and since 2007, um, praise God, I've now been in 48 states, um, about 20 countries, and our current TV ministry is now reaching 300 million homes every week. It's on DirecTV, Dish, Cable, Satellite. We're on four continents in 120 countries, and a lot of people want the platform, but they weren't willing to pay the price. And I had a call, I had an assignment, I had a dream. But, you know, favor is a taste 
Well, let me back up. Flavor is a taste made by man, but favor is a touch from God. And I had a megachurch pastor ask me recently how I was doing it. And I said, I, I was just dumb enough to believe that the, you know, what God said was true. I mean, we called seminary cemetery. They went in alive and came out dead. They started doubting the virgin birth and he didn't really walk on water and the disciples may have still, I mean, you can be too smart for your own good. And I said, if God said it, I believed it. And he kept pressuring me. And I said, sir, respectfully, the difference between you and I is you'll probably out finance me, but you'll never out faith me without faith. It's impossible to please God. And uh, mm-hmm. so when I stepped out by faith, that's the name of the show. Uh, but what's really interesting, when I stepped out, the Holy Spirit said, but I also may bring you back. And for the last four years, Kim, I've led a weekly Bible study to state senators and two different state capitals. And I'm still indirectly wow. at times ministering to members of Congress. And just Friday, this week, I had the honor to speak at Andrews Air Force Base in Hangar 1 and a friend of mine who just retired who did all the travel for President Trump and Biden for all of Air Force One. And I spoke at the podium with a room full of Washington dignitaries and the Air Force One, not in a museum, the current 747 is parked behind me as I'm speaking and they said it was the most powerful speech of the day. And, I mean, you don't get, you know, it's kind of neat how what I was willing to walk away from, God may bring it mm-hmm. back. But if I stayed, mm-hmm. you may have been on your own. You know what I mean? So it's so important. But he still gives you the desires of your heart. And uh, I'm just telling folks, uh, you can't go wrong when you live for the Lord. Well, and I, I, you're, you're just bearing that out with example after example after example. And, you know, I, I, I have also had so many people, Frank, ask me about that same thing. You know, why? how did you have the courage just to step out and do what you're doing? Because in, in my life, I was offered so much money to give my books mm-hmm. over to a certain um, denomination so that, uh, you know, it, it would cost so much ease to, to me as a ministry and, the, you know, the, the funds would be rolling in. I could do any, anything I wanted to do, but I heard that same whisper, and that's what I want our listeners to hear. If you are, if you are quiet before the Lord, he will whisper his word into you. And, Frank, I knew that if I sold all rights of my books to one denomination, I would lose all the others possibly. And it just wasn't worth that risk. And so, you know, a lot of times what God asks you to do is not the way of the world. It's not what the, you know, if you would put it up for a majority vote, you wouldn't be going with a majority, right? But the payoff is so I mean, you just know that you know that you know you're doing it the way God would want it to do. And so, you know, for our listeners today who are struggling with, you know, what it is that they're to do, this is such invaluable information to them to hopefully step out. I love what you said, career versus calling. Uh, Career may bring in the dollars, but the calling, you make a difference. And I I love that so much, and it's so true. Well, so, so what... I have so many questions here I want to ask you. One of the things I did want to say when you were talking about your speaking, I was reading some information, and I think it was Josh McDowell that said this. Um, 
I'm trying to, there's so many people who endorse you and have such incredible things to say about you. And I was able to meet Josh McDowell. He was on my TV show last season. I will tell you what a character he is. I so enjoyed that man. Oh, my gosh. We laughed and giggled, and then we cried, (laughs) and then we prayed. Um, But I I think it was he who said of you, a speaker is something that you get at Radio Shack. (laughs) Frank Shelton is so much more than a speaker. Spirit-led servant and soul winner, Frank serves, and I love that. You know, you buy yeah. that was I, I, that was perfectly said. So, what is it you yeah. talked about being authentic? Um, when you think about that word, and you also said something I think is so pertinent to everyone listening, because not, not everyone's going to be a Frank Shelton, not everyone's going to be able to serve in the capacities that you are, but they are where they're supposed to be. And I love what Amen. you said, wherever you are put your whole heart and hand to it. So yeah. what does that mean to someone to serve with authenticity right where they are? Amen. Well, one, bloom where you're planted. And two, mm. um, a dear friend of mine told me, um, he's the chaplain, I can't even say Washington Redskins anymore, but the Washington football team. Um, and I've been a, a chaplain at the Olympics, but he was, in the NFL and, and, and he said something to me, we all need accountability partners and mentors. And he's one of mine. And he said, Frank, make sure always that your backstage matches your front stage. And he said, even politicians and pastors, those who are that few percent that are type a and out there and not that that's wrong, but that few percent that are naturally gifted to, to speak or, or entertain if you're not careful, you can almost do it by routine or rote. And it's almost like pull a string and, you know, like make us laugh or, you know, do your thing. And, and if you're not careful, you can be doing your thing and you're no longer doing God's thing. Um, mm-hmm. We can start believing our own press clippings. And you can wow the crowd and fool the audience, but we can't fool God. And the backstage is, um, you know, for five years I served Dr. Billy Graham as the D.C. Maryland Delaware state coordinator for all of the Grams. And Mm. I had a chance to spend an hour with the gardener who for 37 years served Billy and Ruth Graham at their law cabin in Montreal, North Carolina. And I sat down with them two years after Billy died. And as God is my witness, Kim, the first 90 seconds, he was just weeping two years after Billy's death. And he was Mm. stammering and he was a Hispanic gardener. And when he finally collected his thoughts, I'll never forget it as long as I lived. He said, what you saw on television and stadiums is what I saw at home. He was the same man front stage and backstage. And yes, the pictures were true of him with the Queen of England, and he pastored 13 presidents, and he even has a star in Hollywood Boulevard. He said, but he made me feel like I was the most important person when he stood toe-to-toe with me. And I'll take that to my grave. His backstage matched his front stage. And I tell people in public schools all over America and corporate 500 talks, if you have a chance today to drive a brand new infinity or work on your integrity, please, please, please just work on integrity. Because if you have a high-end SUV or sports car and it leaves you stranded on the side of the road, you can still walk through life with your head held high with your integrity. But if you got a six-figure car and no morals, you're just a mess. 
And uh, that's why more than ever we need to be authentic. And to be authentic in a world of cubic zirconias, just be the genuine article and just be real. And sometimes it may even be raw. You know, I don't feel well today. You know, my hair's a mess. Uh, Gosh, I got five extra pounds. But if you just love God and love others, you're authentic. But you can get, you know, brand new veneer teeth and spend 10 grand and tuck in this and get that. And But if you're living a double life, you will fool the crowd for a while. But the scariest verse in all the Bible is be sure your sin will find you out. And uh, I just, we're so late and we can't be doing anything um, that will compromise the message um, and my message yesterday in Delaware was you don't have to be Beyonce to be a billboard. You know, people are watching you whether you believe it or not. And it's not if you're famous. They're just dying to see if you're faithful. Does your walk match the talk? And that's in every area of life. And what I love about my dad, he started out as an officer with the U.S. Capitol Police But when he retired, he was the number two top cop in the country. He was the assistant chief of the entire America's police department. Out of 3,000, my dad was the number two with the United States Capitol Police. Some people protect county commissioners. My dad protected eight commanders and chiefs. And he was the chairman of the inaugural committee. And uh, when he retired, I had people tell me over and over, when your dad walked around the corner, I was uh, more excited than seeing a United States center that was turning the same corner. Partly it may have been because my dad actually paused and made everybody feel important. And the backstory, mm-hmm. Kim, is uh, that five-generation Washingtonian, I told you, it was my ancestor, Joseph Gale Shelton, who was the first of five consecutive D.C. police in our family. And he hand-carried Abraham Lincoln across the street the night he did from Ford's Theater. So it was a Shelton who carried Lincoln. And uh, sometimes when I speak, you know, I'm no longer carrying the individual, but sometimes we can carry the ideology of the values, you know. The slaves are not only important, they're equal. Um, You know, he died to bring freedom to others. And when I spoke at Air Force One, Friday, I shared a story that even some of the flight crew didn't even know. True leadership is what will you leave behind that will bless everyone but you. And I'll give you an example. Ronald Reagan was flying the same 30-year-old 707 presidential jet that flew John F. Kennedy back from Dallas. And Ronald Reagan got the appropriations on his second term. He purchased the Boeing 747 that every president sends from Obama to Trump to Biden is on this week. And Reagan bought the two upgrades, 747s, but by the time they were finished, his presidency was over. And the irony is George Herbert Walker Bush, Bush Sr., was the first to fly on the majestic jet we've been on now. The crazy thing is Ronald Reagan never flew on the plane alive. And my friend that retired on Friday was flying with George W. Bush. They were in Italy, and their two identical 747s painted the same with the American flag. The tail's 28,000, 29,000. And on that beautiful red, white, and blue plane 
it says in bold and in black, United States of America, and you're not an American if you didn't get goosebumps when you stare at that plane. And the wild thing is they both were in Italy. He was on the presidential jet. The backup was behind him. And Nancy Reagan called crying and said, my beloved Ronnie just passed. And George W. Bush, to his credit, sent the identical Air Force One. They left Italy, and my friend flew back on the other plane from Italy to Simi Valley, California. And they picked up Nancy, the Reagan family, and put Reagan's remains in that casket and flew him from California to Andrews Air Force Base for the state funeral. The irony is Reagan bought it as president. He never flew on the jet alive. The first time he flew it is when they flew it as a flying hearse to bring him back to the hill. He flew on it deceased. But leadership is what will you leave behind that will bless everyone but you. And if it works for presidents, it should work for preachers, it should work for public school teachers, public accountants. Um, Everybody has a role to play. And I was told there's nothing small when you give your all. Mm, Amen to that. Boy, that is the truth. I love everything you just said there is so amazing and how it speaks to us individually. And listeners, I hope that you will allow that to speak to you individually. I am so much about your legacy and what you leave behind. And, Frank, I believe uh, wholeheartedly that each of us have um, a path on this earth. There's a plan that we were born with. I believe that without a doubt we could mess up that plan. We could we could somehow um, think that we've negated that plan with whatever has happened in our lives, something perhaps we've done, perhaps something that's been done to us. But there's this restoration that we can go through. There's this there's this healing pattern that we can go through, and we can do the work for ourselves, on ourselves, so that we can leave that legacy, such as Reagan and the ones that you've talked about. And that is, yes, for presidents. Yes, it's for preachers, but it's for ordinary people like me and those Amen. who are listening out there that we can leave our legacy. So let's look at our own lives today, friends, and let's say, what is it that I can do to better myself so that I can be a blessing to those around me and leave that strong legacy. I love everything you said and everything you do, Frank Shelton. And we're going to take a 30-second break, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about this book, Urgency, and, and your message that you really want to leave with the world. So give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. I grew up on tour with my parents. Kind of different, but we bonded over music and we talked. Honest conversations, like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted in my own life. And I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. In whatever you do, talk. They hear you. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Coffee, Conversations of Friends of Faith to Encourage and Equip. I'm Kim Crable, and I'm always delighted to have a few moments with you to share incredible people, the stories, and what God is doing. 
Before we get back to today's incredible guest, I'd like to remind you to check out our webpage at www.kimcrable.org to see what we're doing, and we would love to have you join in in all the many things that God is allowing us the opportunity to do. In 2022, be sure and check that out. We are going to start our Tour of America. We're going to many locations to share the Friends of Faith Tour. It is going to be a moment where we are building the church, strengthening the body through the ministry of friendship. So we're coming to probably a location near you. Check it out. And if we're not, we would love to come into your area. We'd also like to thank you for watching our Coffee with Kim TV series. Hey, guys, we've just been nominated for our second big award. How exciting that is because we know that only God can make that happen. So join us. We would love to have you. As a matter of fact, we would be better by having you a part of all that we're doing. So go to www.kimcrable.org. All right, now we're going to get back to our incredible guest today, Mr. Frank Shelton. Frank, the things that you have done, there's no way that a one-hour program could cover the opportunities that you've had, the people that you've served, the ways that God has used you. But I can't, the irony is so funny here. I have to just start this this next part of our show by reminding people that you can't let past failures predict your future. Because here you are, one of the most sought-after speakers in the world, and yet I'm going to give you some fun facts about Frank Shelton. Do you know that he he was cut from the fourth-grade choir and got a D in public speaking? Come on now, Frank. How amazing is that? Did that happen? <laughs> how does that seem to us? <laughs> oh, that's, that's so true. And Michael Jordan got cut from his high school varsity team, but he turned out all right. <laughs> Well, you know, so many times, and I, as a counselor, I'm always going back into people's past with them and trying to find a point in their life where something was locked up or or they heard a lie that that, that just stuck and yeah. and really stopped them from moving forward. You know, at that point in your life, that could have stopped you from a lot of things. How, did that bother you ever? Did that or did that just happen? It was just a blip. Well, yeah, no, I, I think because we all want acceptance, attention, and approval. And, you know, I knew I wasn't much of a singer, but you had to have been in at least fourth or fifth grade to try out. <laughs> I was singing America the Beautiful, and I belted it out. And uh, she said, Franklin, get out. And I thought she was joking. So I hit her with another verse. And if looks could kill, she murdered me in front of my classmates, and she shuffled me out. I, I thought, like, Lord, that was cruel and unusual punishment. And, uh, I mean, you would think politely there may have been a note while well, you just didn't make it, but I like next year. But to be tossed out of a class, that, that kind of stung. But, you know, the beauty about that is, is um, one, I joke, I, I preach like heaven, but sing like hell. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but number two, this is glory to God, but I've now shared the stage with some of the biggest Grammy winners in the country. And even though it stung then, it may have kept me humble now. And he still brought it all together to, you know, if it's in the Christian world, I'm speaking at revivals with Dove Award winners, Grammy winners. And you have to pinch yourself. And I'm still a fan. You grow to a friend. Um, I know we can laugh about it now, but it did hurt. But you know what? Um, I was always told God can't use you greatly until maybe you've hurt deeply. And so maybe that was just part of my journey. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think also um, it, it also could show that when you're doing it within yourself, maybe, you know, it's not as effective as when you put God's calling well, and yeah. his anointing on. Well, yeah, and that that's definitely true, too. And the funny thing is when I got a D in public speaking, um, that part is a little misleading. It's true. And I said, was that for dynamite? And she laughed. She goes, no, you need a lot of work. But the backstory to that, I'm at a public school, 1,200 students, and I'm in ninth grade, and I was the only freshman in a room full of seniors for that class. I'm still trying to figure out how that happened. And she assigned me a topic that I had no passion. She asked me to speak on the ozone layer. And the backstory, you know, I, I totally wish her well wherever she's at, but she did not believe in the Lord at all. And the irony is the year before, I was the same guy who was president of the entire middle school, speaking to a 1,000, and this may sound arrogant, but it's just accurate, hold a 1,000 people in the palm of my hand. Um, but mm-hmm. I think she actually took a delight to give me the D. So the D part is true, but there's actually more to that story. So, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. but but then now, you know, three times I spoke to stadiums at Nelson Mandela Soccer Stadium, 120,000. So I joke yeah. now, if you see her, just tell her I'm up to a C plus. <laughs> it's all good. God uses it all. Yeah. Your mess becomes your message, you know. Well, yeah, well, that and that is so true, and and I, I really just wanted to bring that up because I believe that so many people are sitting, feeling like that they that they that they have a calling to do something, but they remember maybe a, a, a you know a statement that was made about it, a derogatory statement oh, right. or or something, yeah. and it's holding back. And I, you know, if true. you're out there and, and that you you know let let the Lord lift that off of you, you know, work Correct. through that because. Frank, I just feel like there's so many people who are being hindered by, you know, past comments or past judgments, and and the enemy is just so used that to get them from their calling. No, you reminded me of something. Um, One of the greatest stories I've ever heard was in 1988, there was a summer camp, an obstacle course, and they had a bunch of young teenage campers, and they had oak trees every 15 feet, and they had ropes strategically placed to every tree and it went straight up a mountain and when the race started the gun went went off and all those kids ran as fast as they could but there were some adults on the sideline that broke my heart you you know I was always taught that parents want their kids to go further than themselves but there are a few fruit loops in society today who are so insecure they can't even chew for their own so instead of pushing for them and pulling for them, they were criticizing and critiquing them. And when I coached mm-hmm. basketball back in the day, I found that the parents who were least talented as kids were screaming the most as adults to their own child. And I played mm-hmm. with some of the adults, and I was on the varsity team, and, I mean, bless their heart, some of the people couldn't even shoot a hoop, but they were screaming so loud at their child, it took the fun out of the game. So I was told the loudest those come from the cheapest seats. And, um, you know, my Uncle Bobby got drafted by the Detroit Tigers. And, you know, that 100-mile-an-hour fastball doesn't look so fast if you're drunk in the top end of the stadium. And that guy may have not even played junior varsity. He's cursing at a guy that's making seven figures. But, again, the cheapest uh, 
criticism comes from the furthest seats. But having said that, when the people would scream louder, one by one, the campers would quit. And this went on for 30 years. And true story, not a single contestant had ever started and finished the race because of the criticism from the crowd. And one year when the crowd screamed louder, you know, you're going too fast. You're making us look bad. We used to do that. You're arrogant. Who do you think you are? Dial it back a little bit. You're rocking the boat. You know, let's just live mediocre. I had Elvis Presley's stepbrother in my car one time, and he said, Frank, most people want you to do good. They just don't want you to do real good. I've never forgotten that. I said, did your brother ever have any critics? He laughed. When your brother is known by a billion by his first name, Elvis, he said, yeah, he had his share of critics. I said, well, how did Elvis handle that? He said, Elvis was of the persuasion no monument was ever erected to a critic. It was someone who created and did something. And um, wow. so when the crowd screamed louder, this one kid ran faster, louder, faster, louder, faster. And for the first time in 30 summers, this one boy finished the race. And true story, Kim, what was the difference? Unbeneath to the crowd, the other campers, the kid that won was born deaf. And I've learned oh. if you're going to win in your race today, the reality is we're going to have to learn the art of turning a deaf ear to our critics because winners are wonderful. But the wannabes you got to watch out for. I'm from Maryland like you, and we're known for our Maryland blue crabs. But if you put a dozen crabs in a bushel basket as one's clawing its way to the top, you got 11 others trying to bring you back down. And I just believe going into 22, we need to be cheerleaders, not critics. You know, we're colleagues, yeah. not competition. And it breaks my heart. I mean, I get it at the highest level in politics. Um, I have a friend today who's running for United States Senate who credits me why he's running for office. It's humbling. And he's actually has a chance mm -hmm. to win this thing. Um, but you expect the arrows and the darts in the political world. Um, but what breaks my heart, Kim, is in the church where there's pastors who are so jealous of each other. And by the way, the last five letters of jealousy spell lousy. And uh, mm -hmm. I don't think we're like Jesus when we're jealous. And the mm -hmm. devil is our competition, and that time's running out is our competition, but not the pastor running a few more around the church than you. Um, we need to grow up and look up uh, because God's coming back. And that, that, that's a great springboard to my book. And by the way, praise the Lord, but it was, it was the number one new release for all of Amazon for Christianity and evangelism, the book Urgency. It just came out. And it has an hourglass, and the sand of time is about slipped through, and the subtitle's heaven or hell. And the premise of that book is I was booked, Kim, in 10 countries in 12 months in 2020. I just spoke mm -hmm. into 100,000 in Africa, January, February. I was invited in communist Nicaragua at the invite of President Daniel Ortega's wife to speak in Nicaragua. They asked me to lay hands on the president of Nicaragua. I did. And then March 2020, I'm getting ready to privately fly. Only five people in the world knew this. I had bought my own ticket from Dulles Airport to Lahore, Pakistan. I was preaching to 150,000 Muslims, 10 miles from where they killed Osama bin Laden. And the Taliban was going to be on the rooftops, and they said, you can come, but you probably won't come home. And I was probably the only preacher in America who would have the boldness or 
audacity to get on a plane by himself and fly alone to Pakistan. We're not talking, you know, Pacific Palisades in Los Angeles. We're not Hawaii. We're talking Taliban territory. And right. I'm an evangelist. And uh, I'm getting ready to get on the plane March 9th. And I had three of the five friends in three states, three different denominations, three accountability partners. My parents didn't even know I was going. My wife had cried for two weeks because something in her spirit, this one wasn't going to be good. And the night getting on the plane, only one time in my life I had intentionally missed a flight. And they said, whatever you do, don't get on the plane tomorrow. And it made no sense. I'm a soul winner. I, I already saw the crowd of 150,000. And I knew I could get shot, Kim, but I knew even if I died, I was going to die trying to tell the Muslims, God loves you. Two, the answer is in Christ, not Muhammad. And three, should I die, it would go viral on YouTube. So I'm part preacher, but I'm also part promoter. They call me the white Don King. But the bottom line is I did not get on the plane. And I was like, I don't want fear to hold me back. This is crazy. This is what I'm wired for. People need Jesus. And I knew the proverbial walls were closing. I knew the sand of time was sliding. And I didn't get on the plane because I was trying to – the Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there's safety, there's wisdom. And the moment you stop tuning out every – you know, sincere leader who speaks life into you. That's one thing to turn out your critics. But sometimes, you know, those who are sincere, and I stopped, and it all made sense. 24 hours later, I would have been changing planes in Dakar in the Middle East, and the coronavirus hit. The President of the United States suspended all travel from the East. The crusade never happened, and that was the same week of go home, slow the curve for two weeks. But I knew that the time was almost out. I knew the walls were closing. And I knew we didn't have forever, not only to build a legacy, to point people to the Lord because time's about out. And God gave me a word, Kim, for those who went so hard for souls before the pandemic, they're probably the ones we should be listening to in the middle of one. And God gave me a word last year, and people have loved it. For regardless of your profession, if you didn't have a backbone in 2020, you didn't deserve a microphone in 2021. Some of the biggest churches mm-hmm. in America have caved like cowards, like a deck of cards. And they weren't so busy listening to CDC, they forgot to trust JC. You know, they're listening to the WHO, and they forgot who called them to preach. They're so busy trusting the science, they forgot to trust the Savior. And in a world that's mm-hmm. saying, play it safe over a virus with a 99% survival rate, You know, we need to preach Jesus saves. He's the only way. He's coming back soon. And so I got mad, and I I got an award at the United Nations of all places, served in four White Houses, and 20 years in politics. And we come from not only 160 years of D.C. detectives, we're also on the presidential protection all the way back to Lincoln. And at one time, my goal was to join the United States Secret Service to be the sixth generation D.C. police. But I had an interview with the Secret Service and the special agent in charge said, quote, Frank, you'd make one beat of a special agent. And when the best say you would have probably been pretty good, it's a compliment. But I felt like the Lord whispered, Frank, I gave you a message, which was the gospel, and and you can't keep it secret. And at the end of my new book, Urgency, I said my dream at one time was to not only write speeches for political leaders, it was to protect the president. 
But when I stepped out by faith in 2007 to preach the gospel and share that Jesus was the only way and hell's too long to be wrong and time was running out, I basically said at the end, my goal wasn't, after all, to be protect the president. Maybe my job in this last hour was to protect you, the general public. And because of my tenure in Washington and being with Hollywood and pro sport athletes, and the United Nations was telling me three years ago with an ambassador, some of the UN folks were telling me about a 2030 plan, their 17 sustainable growth development. Bill Gates owns more property in America than anybody. I believe they're going to create a food shortage. Um, a lot of my friends are looking for the return of Trump. And I'm telling them, you better be listening to the sound of the trumpet. We're so late in the game. You know, the answer is in the Bible, not Biden. It's in the Trinity, not Trump. And the answer is still in the church house, not the White House. And I've been sounding the alarm in love. You know, we need to trust God. And Schwarzenegger was not the first to say, I'll be back. It was Jesus. And he's on his way. <laughs> So the book is wild. One chapter is called Pandemic or Plandemic. Uh, one chapter is called Occupy. Jesus said, Occupy till I come. Having done all, yeah. stand. You know, the Bible says, don't what, forsake the assembling of yourselves. Yeah. And t- tell us what that means. Tell our listeners, when you say Occupy until he comes, what, what, what is that message to us? Yeah, well, you know, my mom said when she first became a Christian, she was tempted to get out in the backyard, pull out a folding chair, get some lemonade, and just stare at the sky with binoculars. Because she goes, I thought he's coming tonight. And that was like in 1974. And the problem is, you know, that old expression, you don't want to be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Um, But we do have to continue to go through the routine, you know, raise our kids, you know, go to church, pay the bills. But at the same time, as you're going through life, shine a light day and night. You know, we are that billboard. We are uh, the megaphone. Even when you're not screaming, we are to be salt in the earth. We're a peculiar people. And if no one ever thinks you're a little strange, you may not be really serving the Lord. Um, But to the Occupy, just like my friend who's running for Senate, there's some people think, man, you know, that's a little crazy. Um, But, you know, he has an assignment in this last hour. You know, if you teach school, love on those kids. You know, do everything you can, but do it for the Lord. Um, But the best thing I could answer that, Kim, and God gave me this. There's nothing to do under the sun, but this is good. In every porta potty on the ground, in every lavatory in an airplane, this is true, you'll see the bathroom door, it will either say occupied or vacant. And if it's occupied, I'm going to be respectful, but it usually stinks to high heaven because people are in there taking care of business. Um, But in the pandemic, what broke my heart but broke God's heart, and the last days what's good is called evil, and we're in an upside-down world, and the crooked is straight. I felt like what the Lord was whispering in my book, and I wrote it in urgency. He said, Frank, what stinks to high heaven, to the nostrils of the Nazarene Christ himself? is not the church that's occupied taking care of business, still singing his praises. Because the Bible said, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves, especially in the last days. That's so many. There's a falling away of the faith. He said, what stinks to high heaven is these churches who are still vacant, who are on Zoom, who are playing it too safe. And now we got a lot of folks at Bedside Baptist and turn with me to St. Mattresses. I mean, Matthew. 
And it's like they're in their pajamas at home, but they're not in God's house. And that's part of the, I think, one of the problems of the pandemic. We've gotten too comfortable, and I'm the guy. I take it personal. If I was going to go toe-to-toe with the Taliban, some of your listeners can get up next Sunday and drive six miles in America to a place that's still allowed to worship. But if the pandemic taught us anything, we're not only seeing who's real and who's off, um, we're also seeing the guy that endorsed my book was the first pastor in America. It was arrested in Tampa, Florida for having church in a pandemic. I have another friend in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico last April, who the Albuquerque State Police left him a threatening voicemail, cease and desist. They said, if you're having church Sunday, we will arrest the man of God in pulpit for selling crack, no, for serving Christ, for having church in a planned pandemic. And everything I said, Kim, in my book a year ago, RFK Jr., Bobby Kennedy's son, has the number one book in the world on Amazon, exposing the real Anthony Fauci. And when he, a Democrat, is exposing the socialist agenda, people need to listen. And he's saying now everything I've already said in my book, and it's a confirmation. I've complimented him twice on social media. It's not a comp. And, uh, you know, everything we said, we were out the gate. And we're not out to hurt anybody. You know, I'm still praying that, you know, Gates would come to God, that Fauci would find forgiveness. Um, but I'm telling you, Reagan said it best, you know, the scariest eight, nine words ever strung together is I'm from the government and I'm here to help. I lead a Bible study to lawmakers. But if you think the government as a whole has your best interests in mind, um, I'm sorry, but you have missed it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Frank, we're down to the last 10 minutes, and here's, I, I want everyone to truly understand the, the urgency to buy your book, Urgency. It has so, much, so many incredible uh, points, principles in it to prepare us. Could you, um, just in a couple of minutes, because I have a couple more questions, tell our readers, could you sum that up in just a couple of words of why it's important for them to get this book? Well, yeah, and, and the main thing, Kim, I would tell them to buy two books this Christmas season. I just had a lady on the television show who's, who saw our show, and, and she just bought six books for a lot of important people in her family. And um, uh-huh. I, I would encourage them, one, to buy the Bible and then buy the book. Um, oh, okay. Because, you know, where we're at, you know, I was told Billy Graham preached with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And I was able to not mm-hmm. only connect dots, but you know, years worth of research, conversations, and God, you know, I feel like there's been a prophetic anointing that came on me over the years, and I I got saved in a Baptist church, so it's almost Baptocostal, but that's irrelevant, but I'm just (laughs) an evangelist in love saying, you know, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, and I would really encourage them, you know, we talk about the New World Order, the Deep State, uh, the Illuminati, Um, that sounds foreign to some one, one chapter mm-hmm. talks about the deep state or the deep sleep, and I'll give you this in 60 seconds. The deep state is real. My dad graduated from the FBI. The person that lives across the street from me is the State Department. Two doors down is the CIA, husband and wife that worked at Central Intelligence. The end of the street does the hydraulics for Air Force One. Another's a captain of the Navy. Another one's a detective, and I got two people that work for the IRS. Alphabet Soup is on my street, and a lot of them are good people. 
But the deep state, not everybody in their government loves God. We have folks making six figures with million-dollar 401K who are out to destroy mm-hmm. America, and they have an antichrist spirit. The deep state right. is real. But when you're allowing the devil to drive the government car, Michael W. Smith is not playing praise music on the car radio. Are you with me? The deep state is real, but the deep sleep is worse. The deep sleep of the church. I've expected it from the deep state, but the deep sleep, Mm -hmm. Jesus, right before he went to the cross, he asked three times, sweating drops of blood at Gethsemane. He asked the disciples, can you stay awake with me this one last hour? And they weren't asleep at the wheel once, twice, but three times. And when Jesus counted on them the most, he relied on them the least. But that was the beauty of God. He really didn't need us. We still need him. But, oh, how he must have felt so alone before he went out on a limb at Calvary. And the interesting thing is we were asleep then. And if a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day, I'm convinced we're in the last hour. And, uh, you know, the Bible talks about America lost the superpower status. My mother was born 4th of July. I was born President's Day weekend. My son was born Inauguration Day, the hour Obama became president. If you cut the Shelton's veins, they bleed red, white, and blue. I love America. I'm telling you, the people need Jesus. And it's been an honor to be at the White House. You know, it's been wild to be with some of that stuff. But I'm telling you, getting your name in the book of life is where it's at. You can go to Urgency, you can go to frankshelton.com, or just type in Amazon Urgency. And I would encourage you, buy one for you and another for a friend, because time's about out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I hope that you all heard that. You can simply go to Amazon or uh, to order any of Frank's books. Frank, again, I see the minutes ticking off. What I want to ask you, and our, our, my final question is today, what do you want people to know? What, what do they need to know right this minute? What is your message? You know, there's so many men that um, we, we just need strong leadership. We need men who are willing to yeah. stand up and do like, the things that you're doing. What, what is your message of urgency to our listeners today? Yeah, well, hell is too long to be wrong. And if you're a man, I'm going to encourage you to man up. And if you're a woman, just glow for God. You're a princess. Um, The three things that will keep us out of trouble is if we love God and love others, um, I think we will do just fine. Uh, When we stop loving God, love others. They said in 1950, we love people and use things. And sadly, going into the Christmas season today, a century, half a century later, it could be said that we tend to love things and use people. Um, you know, I just think love God, love others. And everyone's made their plans for a temporal vacation. Yeah, we're going to the beach. Oh, we're going to the lake. Or we're going to grandma's for Christmas. But not everybody has taken the long look. Where am I going to spend eternity? And coming to Jesus is as easy as the ABCs. Just A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and see, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And I believe in deathbed conversions, but the problem, Kim, is those who wait till the 11th hour to get right with God usually die at 1045. I was following a motorcycle one time on the highway, and he was on a ninja, and a car pulled out of him, and I saw him at about 70 miles an hour get thrown from the handlebars. He flew about 100 feet, and he began to roll, and when I caught up to him, he was already dead. It hit him so hard, he was wearing Air Jordans, and the motorcycle guy literally flew out of his shoes when he came off the bike. And all I could think of is, I don't think at that moment he was screaming, oh, God. He probably was screaming a four-letter obscenity when he went to die. And all I could pray was, I pray he knew the Lord, because you don't always get an extra inning. There is no overtime. God could come tonight, and if the pandemic taught us anything— when Hollywood stopped making movies, when professional sports stopped playing, the only thing still standing was God. And I felt like he was saying with tears, can you hear me now? I think the pandemic was a space of grace for your audience to see his face. And grace mm-hmm. has a face, and his name is Jesus. And I would just encourage you right now, if you're not sure you're saved, just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. You're the Savior. I heard that Jesus died for the world, but I realized today on Coffee with Kim, if it was just me, Jesus would have died for me. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I repent from my past. I deserve hell, but the Bible says I can go to heaven, not because I'm so good, but because Jesus is so God. You arose on the third day, and I'm not trusting in a dead Christ or excuse me, a dead God, or a dead cult, I'm trusting in a risen Christ. Save my soul, take me to heaven when I die, and you died for me, I'll live for you, in Christ's name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, I would encourage you to reach out to Kim, or just send me an email, frank at frankshelton.com, S-H-E-L-T-O-N.com, and say, today I ask Christ. And if you will do that, our ministry will send you a free gift with free shipping today. Kim, I love you, and Merry Christmas. Oh, Frank, I will just tell you, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And listeners, I would uh, truly hope that you will order your book, Urgency. Frank Shelton, you can go to uh, frankshelton.com to learn all about his ministries, all the things he's doing, his speaking engagement, maybe how you could uh, be uh, in his audience one day, I want you to check out where he's going, taking a Holy Land trip with one of my great friends, uh, Ray Lewis. So much Amen. going on. Um, but you hear his heart, and his heart is to serve the risen Savior and to make sure that we're all, not not just living life, but living the abundant life. Not just Amen. going through time make make life happen, but really living the life. And, and not just, uh, I love what he said, you know, not just busy in our career, but, but loving and living the calling of our lives. And I just, Frank, I thank you so much. I look forward to doing things in the future. Merry Christmas, my friend, and thank you so much for joining us today on Coffee. And I look forward to seeing all of To learn more about Kim's books, teaching materials, or to invite Kim to speak at your event, please visit kimcrable.org. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, to learn more, please visit kimcrable.org.